0: Gen Z are much less willing to give up their entire life for their career. They want a different perspective they want to have a business on the side and many organizations are encouraging them now because that is great for innovation that's great for creativity meeting meetings are a huge thing now and they have been shown to make you 81 percent more creative so in fact not having your meeting in a meeting room getting outside into nature and walking which has become very very popular i know in places like the uk and europe it's going to make your employees 81 percent more creative without doing anything else welcome
1: to another episode of team anywhere where ceos Leaders and experts at building teams,
0: companies,
1: organizations,
0: and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co host on the East Coast, Jimmy Bianco Mathis, and I'm
1: your co host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. Hello, and welcome. To another episode of Team Anywhere, I'm your host, Mitch Simon on the West Coast. We actually have a a guest today on the East Coast. I won't tell you the East Coast of what yet, but I'm your host here on the West Coast, and I'm looking forward to this podcast. Today on the program, we have Dr. Libby Sander. Libby's an internationally renowned academic expert on the future of work in the workplace, and the MBA director and assistant professor of organizational behavior at Bond University. She is a leading thinker on understanding the future of work and how we can reimagine work to live more meaningful and creative lives. She has spoken at TEDx and is an agenda contributor at the World Economic Forum. Libby, welcome to Team Anywhere. Lovely to be with you, Mitch. Great. Great to have you on the program. So, right, let's get straight to it. What is the number one thing on your mind today as we are bombarded by stories on the news that employee engagement is dwindling, and at the same time, companies are forcing their employees to go back to the office.
0: Yeah, I think we've got this collective amnesia, right, That since the pandemic, that before the pandemic, everything was wonderful. You know, everyone was in the office, they were innovating all day, they were super productive, they were really engaged, they were collaborating wonderfully, they were bumping into each other in the corridor. and having all these serendipitous conversations. And we know from the research that that isn't true. So I think, you know, going back to the office might address some things, but it's not addressing the bigger, deeper issues that are really underpinning what's going on with the change of work at the moment.
1: So what are the underpinning issues? Uh, That's the next question, Libby.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think during the pandemic, people really changed their definition of success. And ambition because they suddenly thought, look, I don't know if there's going to be another pandemic next week, hopefully not in the next hundred years. Do I really want to spend two hours a day commuting or more? You know, do I want to spend 10 hours a day or more at the office? Uh, You know, who knows? I might not even be here. So should I really focus on what else I want to do in my life? So this, we kind of had this pie where most of the pie was taken up by salary and job title. And they were the things that people really cared about and this race up the corporate ladder. And suddenly people are going, you know what, Um, my work is still important to me, but so are other things, spending more time with friends and family, maybe pursuing other business ideas, other interests, and just having a better balance. I think that was really brought into stark relief. And so this is like a, a real existential crisis right now. If we've sort of reached. Peak industrialism, you know, as Seth Godin talks about, then what's next? You know, we, we've got less labor entering the market than, you know, we've ever had. And so probably the dynamics are never going to go back to the way they used to be in the model and the way that that was premised and operated. And so I think it's a huge adjustment for organizations. So just yelling at everyone to go back to the office um, is not going to solve anything because the good talent are the ones that lead the market, and they are voting with their feet right now.
1: So are these um, are these CEOs, managers, esteemed business leaders? Um, are they what? Why are they saying you must go back to work? Because it's did they they have amnesia? But what's what are they thinking in their minds? and is it correct?
0: So what's in, yeah, what's interesting is if we look at um, managers and leaders, especially the further up the hierarchy you get in terms of CEOs, they're of a particular you know age and demographic. and for a lot of them, you know this isn't their fault. you know they've only managed or led in one way. That's the only way they've ever known how to do it. It's like I have people in the office around me, that's the way I operate and you know they're just one individual but we know from research that there isn't a correlation between being in the office and being productive and i'm sure all of your listeners can relate to knowing many people who are they've worked with over time um that you know they're in the office they may be doing busy work they may be you know running around talking a lot but are they actually being effective are they actually being productive and so you know, generations coming to are changing in the way that they have changed, in the way that they work, the way that they communicate, the way that they collaborate. And so this idea that I have to see you to manage you um, isn't true. And, you know, and we also forget that multinationals have been doing this for decades. They have been managing remote and non collocated teams very successfully for a very, very long time. So this hasn't happened just since the pandemic. It's highly possible to achieve all of the things that we're worried about, be that, you know, mentoring, learning, you know, those spillover conversations, um, social connection, that's possible to achieve in remote and non-co-located teams. And we also need to remember that most people don't want to work at home five days a week, that they want to have a balance of coming into the office, you know, some of the time, because we are social creatures so to have those benefits we get um from coming in so of course there are benefits of being in the office it's just that we don't need to do it five days a week and if we're going to run on the lens of managing by like FaceTime, you know like we've seen for decades in japan where they will openly say i just have to be in the office longer than the boss it doesn't matter what i'm really doing i just have to be here longer than the boss However, Japan is also the only country in the world that has a legal definition for death from overwork, Karoshi. So they literally drop dead uh, at their desk from working too many hours. And so I think we just need to shift this lens to understand that, yes, being together is good, but we can do that in a number of different ways. It doesn't have to be the way that we've always done it. Um, And we also need to support leaders and organisations with uh, more training, um, coaching in how to manage in different ways because many of them have only done it in the way that we've talked about
1: so the you know what we've heard um you mentioned mentoring um, what we've heard is you know it's it's almost impossible to mentor young um, recruits uh, the young employees uh, and then the, they've also talked about innovation so without people being in the same room there won't be the innovation and you have already talked about productivity that you know studies show that you are many times more productive when you're outside uh, the work. I'd love for you to share, um, before we go to innovation, on productivity, um, you wrote a lot about the fact that the open environment is not only not very productive, but it causes a lot of issues as well. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Because I do think that with this amnesia, a lot of people are saying, oh, we're just going to bring back everyone to exactly what it was before because it was so effective and productive then.
0: It's great. Yeah, if you read any article, I mean, the kind of industry or popular literature, um, as well as academic articles, the number one thing people hate about open plan offices is noise and distraction. So, my uh, researchers and I actually did a study and in an experimentally controlled conditions in a lab that showed a causal link between standard open plan office noise, so not very excessive noise at all, and physiological stress. So this noise made you 34% more stressed and 25% in a worse mood. So what actually happens is when we can't think and concentrate to do our basic job, which is a huge requirement of knowledge work, then what happens is people tend to actually want to collaborate less. They get more withdrawn, more hostile and more frustrated because they simply can't concentrate to do the job that they're supposed to be doing. So this is a huge problem. The other thing with open plan offices is it's a very broad spectrum. So you can design an open plan office that works well. Uh, We've done a study on this, but for most people, their experience is not a well-designed open plan office with acoustic treatment and different areas for different types of work. It's kind of these acres of carpet with a lot of desks. And, you know, more than a decade of research now has conclusively shown that just shoving everybody together in one room does not lead to all the things that we thought it did, which was more collaboration and more ideas and problem solving um, and more productivity. It actually in some cases can make that um, significantly worse and that's one of the reasons why people like to have this flexibility to work in other spaces than the office because they don't have that visual and auditory distraction and interruption.
1: Yeah, so we're seeing we're seeing a lot of employees that are very productive at home being sent into the office. Not only are they productive, they're more stressed. They're stressed because they had to commute, they're stressed because their kids aren't out there, um, and they're stressed because they can't get their work done. And yet we're seeing so many um, bosses CEOs saying, come on back. Now and like I said before, a lot of them are saying it's for innovation. They need people together for innovation. What is what have you found in your re- research about innovation and bringing people together?
0: So we look at um, you just again the body of research on innovation and open plan offices. It's another one of these myths that putting together everyone together in a room um, does it make innovation magically happen? Innovation is quite an iterative process. Um, it doesn't happen when you get together and you know in a meeting room and put it on the agenda and say. Right, point three is innovation, okay? Innovation comes from a lot of spillover. So we see, you know, if we go back to Jane Jacobs' fantastic book on Death and Life in American Cities, you know, she talked about the value, for example, of walking around in the city and getting these different input and ideas. You know, I know people that work from the Met, for example, you know, you're getting this spillover innovation. Um, so, you know, it, it's not something that we can put on the agenda. There's different parts to it. There's the generation of creative ideas, which is, you know, what's a novel and useful ideas. And then there's a whole range of things that happen after that. So innovation requires a range of different inputs, but just having everyone in one office in your organization without any other external input um, isn't the way that works. So if we take Lego, for example, at the end of their innovation process, they're extremely secretive right so if you go to the headquarters in bill and you try to film the building it's like this big amphibian and it has these big metal screens that just kind of close over and you can't sort of look inside or film but at the start of the process lego understands that they need to let go of the assumption that they know what the problem is or what their customers actually want so one example is they would go to a you know a place like south by southwest, southwest which is a very multidisciplinary festival. You've got tech, you've got writers, poets, musicians, business people, which is fabulous. I think we need a lot more of those types of things. And they'll just kind of get one of their employees together um, in, in an open space with some music and you know a table and they might have a few prototypes or ideas of things they're working on. And then they will crowdsource ideas from people coming by. So from a poet, from a musician, from a business person, a tech person, they're all going to have really, really different ideas. And that's the kind of magic that we need to feed into our innovation process um, because everyone will have a different lens on that. They can take that away and then they can sort of do what they do very well with that. And I think it's a really powerful model is using the power of different spaces and different states you get from those spaces, but also not thinking that we have all of the ideas as well.
1: So, like what I'm hearing is, uh, if you want to be more effective, don't go to the office. If you want to be more innovative, absolutely leave the office.
0: Yeah, and just on that, Mitch, actually, you know, walking meetings are a huge thing now. Um, and they have been shown to make you 81% more creative. So, uh, in fact, not having your meeting in a meeting room, getting outside into nature and walking, which has become very, very popular, I know, in places like the UK and Europe, is going to make your employees 81% more creative without doing anything else. So you it's just thinking differently about this stuff
1: hey we're taking a quick break to remind you to support our podcast by hitting the subscribe button and leaving us a review your feedback means the world to us and it helps us continue to bring you more engaging and thought-provoking content for leadership and remote work so what would be the reasons why you would go into the office like what are you finding um so i mean when i'm hearing you say it's, it's not every day Um, but let's say you do decide on the the magic number and you do come into the office, what do you see as are the, I don't know, circumstances or the agenda items or what, what works? So you say we really need to spend the time and money and, and interruption to get people together.
0: Look, I think it's also having this flexibility on this spectrum. Some people, a small percentage probably realistically work really well remotely all of the time. They just don't want to need or want to be around other people. And at the other end of the spectrum, there are people who want to be in the office all the time because they need that structure. They enjoy that structure. They can't or don't want to work from home for whatever reason. Maybe it's more distracting for them to do that. But what we're finding for those people in the middle is they are coming for the experience of that. Um, of being in the office, so being around their colleagues, that social cohesion, um, you know, meetings face-to-face are much better, let's be honest. Like meetings for are not very fun. Um, but, again, it often comes down to that team level. You know, some teams will have a dynamic where they have a lot of synchronous work that they need to do at the same time. They just enjoy being together more. So the successful organisations are kind of leaving it at that team level to say, what are the outcomes you need to achieve, where are the spaces that are going to best support you to do that, and then allow them to work through that. Um, You know, mentoring is important, learning is important, and there are certain types of jobs where, you know, that can best be done in the office. It's hard to get that spillover, but again, we have a range of spaces across the city if we look at a distributed workplace where that can happen, Um, and so I think that's where we're seeing this this real shift and organizations like LinkedIn who um, redesigned their San Francisco building to have 75 different types of spaces where you could work not everyone has a checkbook like that but you can use the city in that way you could go to the local museum you could go to a library you could go to a co-working space you could work walk outdoors and have a meeting so every organization has this ability to access creative spaces to support what they're trying to do
1: so I love that idea of of the team deciding because I'm, you know, I do a lot of courses on on the responsibility of the team member to really support the team. I love the idea of saying to the team, so team X or whatever, you know, you decide what's most productive for you. And and then it's almost like you would almost need someone like yourself, Libby, to kind of say, "Okay, so so here are here's like the the menu." Of surroundings that will actually help you be more productive, which leads me to my second my second question my thirty thirty seventh question. So you wrote your PhD, you, you wrote your PhD on the empirical study of how our physical environments influence our psychological and physical states, and then I saw that you wrote a paper on how we should focus on work states instead of workplace. So, tell us all about that thinking because that is very fresh thinking.
0: When I was doing my PhD, I looked at the research, and there's a ton of research on specific things like what effect does nature have on us, you know, physiologically, in terms of stress, in terms of creativity. So, we know a ton about that. Uh, we know a ton about what lighting does to us. We know a ton about what air quality does to our brain, just improving the air quality by. Spending $7 per person in an office actually will make you 20% smarter. So that's something we should all think about. However, there wasn't really any research that looked at the whole environment. Because when you go into work, Mitch, there's not just one plant. There's not just some fluorescent lighting. There's not just, you know, a few touches over there. You are reacting physically and psychologically to that whole environment. And we really didn't know very much about that at all. So what I did was need to understand what are the reactions we need to have from the office? What are the most important reactions we need in order to get these outcomes like productivity, um, collaboration, engagement um, and, you know, many others downstream? And so what I found was there are three reactions that are the most important. Firstly, you have to be able to focus and concentrate. That sounds very obvious but as we've seen with the open plan research it's not very uh common the second one was that we actually need to be in spaces that um inspire a sense of beauty or inspire a sense of awe and wonder so that's a fundamental human need even for people who think oh look I don't care if I work in a cardboard box our research actually showed actually you do like your brain is still attending to this environment and you're going to be better off if it inspires um, this sense of beauty it can inspire improved your creativity and your mood and then the third one is was about being able to connect when you choose to so you don't need to do all three at the same time but these are the things that we need to think about when we're designing workspaces and also our day so if you want to do creative tasks for a day if you've got to do something that's very you know concentrated where you don't need interruptions um, if you want to do something that is really connecting with others and collaborating on problems You need different types of spaces to support those states. So our thinking should first be, what do we need to achieve or what does our team need to achieve today? And then what's the type of space that's best going to support that? Because for the majority of people and the majority of companies, one office sitting at one desk all day is not going to be able to provide those inputs that you need to achieve the state.
1: So a a great leadership coach would say to the CEO, okay, before you decide that everyone's coming back one day a week or three days a week, or I don't even know what the X days a week, I don't know where that came from actually. I think our old model is five days a week. Um, I think what you're sharing is to say, what do you want to achieve? And also, um, what does each team need to achieve to get to what you want to achieve and look at it that way? And then... Your number one is focus and concentrate. I think we all grew up working in places where we just could not focus and concentrate. And it's, in most bosses said just grin and bear it. Do your work. Put your head down.
0: And that doesn't work because research shows that we think we habituate to something like noise. But if we, if I was to wire you up um, to things in our lab, um, we could demonstrate that you don't habituate to noise. So you still have these physiological reactions of stress. Uh, which over the long term is not a good thing in terms of um, potential physiological outcomes and for your health. But it also makes you in a worse mood. And I don't know about you, Mitch, but when you're not in a good mood, I don't feel like collaborating. I don't feel like coming up with great new ideas. So our physical environment impacts us far, far more than we realise. And there's been some really cool um, examples of this in history, we look at Jonas Salk when he was inventing the polio vaccine and he was really trying to work through issues in his lab about how to do that and, and various problems he was coming up against. And he said he used to go to the Basilica at Assisi in Italy and that the beauty, the power, the design of that space would actually help him have breakthroughs in his thinking to solve the problems um, in developing that vaccine. And so that you know there are a range of stories like this that we just don't realise. Um, sitting in a gray office with gray carpet and an undead plant with a noisy coworker who's fighting with their partner at lunch on the phone and eating tuna salad. It's actually not very productive.
1: (laughs) Tuna salad. I like tuna salad. Um, Let me ask you this then, because it's in the papers um, a lot today. We have this over, we have too many office buildings now. Um, And you know, with your knowledge on space, should we just blow up all these office buildings? um are they are they a dinosaur? Will they not help people be happy and productive? what What's your thinking on that?
0: This is a great question. And what we need to think about is that people have wanted to be in cities for centuries, you know, pretty much yeah for a very, very long time in humanity. and there's a good reason for that. Um, you know, certainly in terms of entertainment and culture and connection and ideas. But most modern cities, don't do a great job of this. And of course, there are there are some great examples and great districts and cities that break this. But if you just have pretty much a city that is large office towers broken up by the odd chain um, coffee shop or chain restaurant, it doesn't make for a very interesting, diverse, um, engaging, you know, culturally interesting, artistically interesting place that people want to be in. And a really good example of this was the financial district um, in New York after 9-11. So before 9-11, um, you know, most of the real estate in that space was taken up by you know, banking, insurance, and government relations, and some real estate, and nobody lived there, right? So you'd go home at 5 o'clock and or whenever they ended up so actually going home, and there was just nobody there. It was a very uninteresting space. And after 9-11, what companies realised was that clustering actually increases risk. Um, aside from anything else and so there was a real intention to change the dynamic of the financial district and so now I think there's over 55,000 people who actually live in the financial district in New York there's a dog walking club that meets up front of the stock exchange every morning you know there's more independent retail independent restaurants so it's a much more interesting and diverse place and that's what we should be aiming for so you know office buildings can be converted into other things there are you know issues around that Course, but if we look at, you know, many Western cities have issues around, you know, housing, housing affordability, um, supporting innovation, supporting new enterprise, supporting artistic endeavour, then we need to look at a lot more mixed use buildings. There's some really good examples of this, What um, I was reading about recently in Japan. Um, so rather than just these singular buildings, which we know are very underutilised. In terms of how often people occupy them, even before the pandemic, um, we have a huge opportunity to recreate the city to be a much more interesting place. Because a place where everyone just pours in in the morning, goes to their office building all day, maybe gets a couple of coffees, and then commutes out at the end of the day—that's not going to be a great thing for our cities in the long term either.
1: Yeah, I just—I know here in San Diego, um, one of one of the builders is launching their first uh, retail office residential building. Um, in downtown San Amazing. Diego was really, really very interesting. Okay, so outside of the the LinkedIn's and the Googles who have billions of dollars to buy more plants, what um, what companies are you seeing that are getting this right? What are some examples of companies that have said, "Okay, I think we've we've listened to Libby; she's a doctor, and we're gonna we're gonna um, we're going to revamp our workplace." What what is your formula for making it work?
0: So one of the great things that we've seen, um, even though they might not be everyone's cup of tea with the uh, reality TV shows about design and there's a whole channels now and there are, you know, people redesigning their house and all kinds of things, is that it's made design quite democratised, right? So you don't necessarily need an architect. You don't need to spend, you know, millions of dollars. And, yeah, you know, IKEA has a whole commercial division now to help you redesign your office. So you I guess the first thing is to think about what is the type of work that gets done in this place and what are the type of people who work here um, and enrol them in that process. So the best office designs always come about where there's a co-creation process. So what do we need to do, what type of zones or spaces do we need in this office in order to do the type of work because that's going to vary dramatically between industries. And then you can go to IKEA, you can do all kinds of things, Uh, you don't have to spend millions of dollars, but the the fundamental principles are don't make it like a museum. So, you know, when you go into a space, sometimes you see that it looks like it's ready for one of those architectural digest magazines and everything's perfect and there's this one perfect sculpture over there. What works is when people can make changes, when they can sort of inject themselves into that space. So, Things like natural light are really important. If you can do outdoor space, that's really important. Fresh air, ventilation. um, Yes, using nature, but you can easily do that yourself. You know, that's not a a difficult thing to do. Using what we call biophilic materials, which is closer to nature. So, you know, materials with a lot of texture, timber, stone. Concrete actually makes us, unsurprisingly, feel very restricted in our thinking it makes us feel quite constrained it makes us get in a lower mood uh, and it's also acoustically dreadful so all these like polished concrete floors that are really trendy it's just a terrible terrible idea um you know so you, there's a, a range of different options and you know resources that you can easily find you know online so you know what what can we actually do because at the end of the day is it a space people want to be in Uh because do they want to come together? And that comes back to culture. It comes back to you know leadership. It comes back to you know how connected are the people in the organization. It's not the best space in the world. It's not going to help if you've got a sociopathic CEO. No one's going to want to come there.
1: Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> come see the socio- sociopath. Um, but I, l- I love your ideas of um, a, you know most most knowledge workers now have a, a lot of the emphasis of their work is on creativity. Um, and, you know, creativity is not painting a Monet, but it's actually, you know, all the different ideas that are generated. And so what companies should be looking for is how to really design their spaces to be inviting, um, and also to be productive.
0: Yes, yeah, so and not everyone's beanbags or slippery dips, you know, I think that might be an exclusive Google thing that most companies don't want, or it doesn't align with their work or their culture. Um, but there are many other things that do and we're seeing a real domestication of the workplace so it does feel you know welcoming it does feel like somewhere that you actually want to be it doesn't have to be sterile and gray you can tell i don't like gray
1: <laughs> i can tell you only gray cement and um we're sorry for those people who love beanbags uh we have nothing against being bags <laughs> no, but...
0: like too but if you take a law firm and you say you know here lawyers Go sit on these bean bags. They're going to look at you like you have two heads. They're just probably not going to be really into that, you know.
1: True. One of my last questions is: um, just I actually just got off uh, a podcast with a Gen Zer, a twenty-four-year-old writer. What is Gen Z telling us about workplaces that work, and how can we get the most out of this this um, youngest generation?
0: Gen Z, you know, it's funny if we look across the generations on the whole people want the same kind of things from their workplace the younger generations don't necessarily of course have the networks that you know older generations have and so they need help and support to create that it's difficult to create relationships in business online that's much better done face to face but that can be done in all kinds of ways in coffee shops um at conferences um in mentoring sessions so They certainly need that support to build those relationships and to understand, you know, how business works. Because if you've never worked in an office, it's difficult sometimes to understand that. So, you know, we do need some face-to-face time. Uh, But Gen Z are are much less willing to, again, and this has shifted with the other generations since the pandemic, just give up their entire life for their career. So they really have seen perhaps what happened with their parents back in the GFC um, and that there really isn't any loyalty from organisations to their employees um, regardless of how long you work is is their view in many cases. That's of course not true for, for all organisations and so they want a different perspective. They want to have a business on the side and many organisations are encouraging them now because that is great for innovation. That's great for creativity. In Japan, the government's actually encouraging their employees or sorry employees of big corporates to work at several different corporates to try and increase innovation because that's a huge problem in Japan um, and because they've had this model for a very long time of working for one employer so, Doing multiple things is, is a good thing for companies where we used to restrain people and say, you can't do anything else except work for us. That's actually bad for innovation and it's bad for engagement. So they want to be able to try lots of different things. Um, they want to have flexibility. Um, that's certainly, you know, top of the list. Um, but, you know, I get annoyed when I hear people say, all oh, oh, Gen z are uh, you know, lazy because if I look at the undergraduate students and, you know, in our business school and, you know, I can tell you dozens of dozens of examples of, you know, these incredible young people who are working hard and doing incredible things both in starting their own businesses and then working in, in a more traditional path as well.
1: That's great. So do you have any books coming out?
0: So I am writing a book. Okay. Wait. I am writing a book about the work states. But before that comes out, I'm actually gonna have a guide uh, so that people can buy, you know, pretty inexpensively to say, what can I do? Uh, how do I understand what I need? What kind of state I need for my job? How do I achieve that state? And then how do I select the workspace to do that? And how can I do that with my team? So that's going to be coming out um, pretty soon.
1: Pretty soon. Please uh, please let me know. And maybe we'll come back and do, um, and do another podcast so you can talk about that guy. Because I do think that that is um, definitely a missing piece. You're having us look at all the avenues which we wouldn't necessarily look at look at. And I think they're the most beneficial. So where can we find you? Where can we read about you? Where where can we get in touch with you, Libby?
0: Yeah. So um, you can get in touch with me on my website. It's libbysander.com. I also have um, the rethinkproject.com, which I do some different things around this kind of space as well. And you can find links to me on um, Instagram and Twitter and all the usual places on my website as well.
1: Great. Well, thank you, Libby. Thanks so much. Uh, Pleasure to... um, to be able to connect with you all around the globe. And uh, I want to thank you so much for your time and the work you do. And I want to thank our listeners. Uh, please share this episode with your friends, your colleagues, your family. And we'll see you next time on our next episode of Team Anywhere. Before we sign off for today, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your support helps us grow. And by subscribing, you'll be the first to know when our exciting next episode is available.